I'm Luka Doncic and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. This is gonna be huge. 360 in the contract. Never that. I just take the contact. I bring it back. I'm running on the fast break behind the back. Yeah, this that, this that, this that. Jerk with the And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, and joining me for the first time ever. First time as guest on the Locked On Mavericks podcast, Lauren Gunn. Lauren, what you got for me? Oh, man. Ugh. That was a tough loss, but, you know, I'm doing good. I, uh, I'm i super, super excited to be hopping on with you uh, this evening. I Actually, this next week is, is my 21st birthday, so so hopping on here with you has been a nice little, uh, nice little early birthday gift. Hey, there you go. If the Mavs couldn't give it to you, at least you, we can have you on Locked On Mavs. How about that? <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, so we're going to break down the Mavericks 128 to 121 loss to the Rockets without Luka Doncic. We'll also briefly talk about Luka's status. Uh, and then there's a little rumor going around um, from Brad Townsend that the Mavericks are targeting a wing that we did not talk about, <laughs> which is hilarious because we went through all the wings in the entire NBA that we thought the Mavs might target. And there's one that came out that apparently we didn't talk about. So we'll get to that one. Uh, Isaac is away. He's at. Um, man, I think he's in the woods again. I don't know, some kind of camp. Like he's somewhere else, but that's where Isaac is. So I decided to, to grab Lauren and bring her in for the uh, you know the first time on the podcast, and uh, and basically just just try it out. We'll see how you do, Lauren, and then we'll see if you can come back. How about that? All right, fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, so the Dallas Mavericks they lose this game. They're without Luka Doncic, like we said before, and like probably all of you saw. Um, he tweaked his ankle in a practice on Thursday and Carlisle said before the game that he's out for the next six games. So that's, I'm assuming that included the Houston game because he said it before the game. And so that means he's out for Houston, Atlanta, Indiana, Memphis, Washington, and Charlotte. And then there's two games before the all-star break, Utah and Sacramento. So he could be back for those games. Sounds like he's definitely going to be back for the all-star game, which, you know, either enrages you or excites you, depending on which side of it. Uh, Lauren, which side are you on of this? There's some people that say, I don't want him to play in the all-star game, you know, because, you know, why play him? Why risk it in the all-star game? But there's other people that really want him to play and think this is a big, important moment for the Mavericks. Well, I mean, if you think about the level of effort that goes into the all-star games, I think I am pro, you know, Luca go in there have a good time and and you know build those relationships with you know maybe a potential seven foot greek player i don't know but um if <laughs> now you we're just, thinking if you get in there and you just you you have fun with it like like all these players do each year i think he knows his his restrictions and what he should be doing and the level of effort he should be putting in there i mean he is you know that level of competitiveness that he has hopefully he's able to kind of dial it back but i think he should go and and have as much fun with it as he can what about you yeah, there's less feet to step on, I think, in an all-star game, right? Like, there's going to be less things in his way to kind of impede him from getting to the basket or wherever he's going to try to go in this game. So I'm for it. I'm definitely for it. I think it is a big moment for the franchise to see Luka starting. Uh, Doris Burke in this game against you know the Rockets was commentating, and she said, you know, imagine trying to hold back a 20-year-old from getting his name called in the all-star game. Like, that's, that's probably going to be pretty hard <laughs> for the Mavericks no. to do overall. And so I think it's important for him, too. This is a dream of his, and it'd be awesome to get him, to, you know, for him to be able to do that. So, but it looks like the Mavericks are going to be out, you know, without him for the next five games, maybe uh, six, if this Houston one didn't count. And 
this is kind of the same thing we just went through, right? We saw the Mavericks play without Luka before. They went 2-2, two and two, uh, most notably with those wins against the Sixers and the Bucks. But in this game, we see the Mavericks without Luka uh, and Kristaps Porzingis. We will definitely get into him and talk about him, but uh, 35 points, 12 boards in this game. This was his best game as a Maverick, right? I, I think so. I mean, to go out there and just know that you know people are going to be looking to you to step up and to do it and not hesitate I think I think it was a good definitely good outing for Porzingis yeah and it was the things that we haven't seen a lot from him in these games he hit one three and he scored 35 points that's that's big that's that's a really big development for him specifically um yesterday so the Friday the 31st when we're recording this was the one year anniversary of the Porzingis trade and I was kind of looking back and just thinking about, you know, the year that had gone by. And if you looked just at, you know, the stats and stuff since he had been uh, added to the Mavericks, he has, let's see, he's averaging like just under 17 points a game, just under nine rebounds a game, two blocks a game, shooting 34% from three. Uh, and he's a pl- his plus minus is 4.2. The Mavericks are, they were 29 and 18 and he's the only player in the NBA averaging two made threes and two blocks per game. Like that's positive. That's that's really positive, and that's some really good stuff. The negatives, you know, if you just look at Porzingis and say, you know, if if, one, if you took, look back one year, what are some of the negatives? The big one I think is he's shooting twenty nine percent from five feet to nineteen feet. Like that's just, <laughs> that's just really bad in that area. And in this game, that's where he feasted. He was able to get that little turnaround in the lane to go a couple of times. Um, we should we should mention though, the Rockets didn't play a single guy over the over the height of six foot six. Uh, Clint Capella was out in this game. They didn't play Hartenstein. They didn't play Tyson Chandler, our guy. And uh, so I think he was really able to take advantage of his size, which is something we've all been calling for for this entire season. Right. I I remember when when the game first started. I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh! Every time you get Harden switched on to KP, just I wanted to sit him in the paint and. It was like you were waiting for it to come, but you also were like, well, you know, is that his game? Does he? I mean, he has that fadeaway and his little turnaround shot, but I wasn't sure if he was completely comfortable. And then as the game went on, you just saw him kind of go down there and just sit and know that he was who he had on his back. And he just kind of, like you said, he feasted. And Harden Westbrook and definitely PJ Tucker, too, are probably three of the worst guys, you know, six foot five and under to post up. They're just so strong. They have such strong bases. And it's really hard to get to post up on those guys. And it's not like Porzingis backed down any of these guys and like hit a shot over them. If he got deep position, there was that one in, you know, in the last five minutes where he got the shot over Westbrook and he got fouled. That was kind of the one time I saw him really back somebody down. But uh, it was impressive to see him hit shots against those guys because those are really hard guys to score against in the post. Uh, everywhere else, they're pretty easy to score score against Westbrook and Harden, but in the post, they're not. All right, coming up, let's get into some more of this game. There's so many other things to get into. We didn't even mention the starting lineup. Just one of the weirdest starting lineups we've ever seen, so we'll get into that coming up. All right, Lauren, let's start with the Mavericks starting lineup. So we have Porzingis, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, like always. And then JJ Barea and Ryan Brokoff. This is this is such a weird. This is Ryan Brokoff's first start in the NBA. I think in 54 games, his first start, uh, and probably the most minutes he's played all season. He played 20 minutes, 
and he hit three corner threes all in the left corner, the exact same spot off the exact same action, which was really funny to me. Uh, but what do you think about this whole Carlisle strategy of leapfrogging some of these bench players, J.J. Barea and Ryan Brokoff, into the starting lineup over the bench to keep the bench intact? I mean, I think I saw somebody tweet out, they said, uh, this is probably the most Rick Carlisle lineup I've ever seen in my life. And <laughs> I think I like it. I mean, you think if you want to go out there and you want to match the Rockets offensive, you know, abilities, you would think you might throw in Curry in there. But I like throwing Brokoff in there. I think someone that's got such a quick trigger like that. And when you've got Berea to try to get in there and facilitate when you don't have Luca in there, I think they're two guys that, you know, the Rockets may not. I mean, well, Berea, but with Brokoff, they might not have a lot of um, tape on him or they might not have a lot of knowledge of what he brings. And so when you get out there and you've got Tim Hardaway, you've got Dorian Finney-Smith, who's either fifth or sixth in the league in corner threes, as they said on the broadcast with 42. I mean, you've got, you're trying to match their offense. And they, with Porzingis out on, on, the, uh, on the perimeter, they're running that five out and they're just trying to match um, that offensive efficiency. So I, I like throwing Brokov in there. And then you still kind of maintain that depth with, Brunson, DeLon, and Curry coming off the bench with your guards. So I, I like the move. I kind of think that it it shows a lack of faith in Justin Jackson in this matchup. And he only played a minute 35, so I think that kind of proves it too. Where do you stand on Justin Jackson? Because it feels like he's sort of been the whipping boy or like the, the scapegoat, <laughs> the guy that everybody complains about right now. Right. So I've seen a lot lately on Mavs Twitter, you know, sometimes a ruthless, <laughs> ruthless place, <laughs> He that he – is just getting torched on defense. And there are there have been some clips of, of that happening. So in his less than two minutes, he was a minus seven. And <laughs> he I He played a minute thirty-five. He was a minus seven. Not not yeah, great. Right. So I it kills me because I'm a big Justin Jackson fan. I like his length. I like what he brings, his attitude. But with his inconsistent role, you know, he goes out here, plays a minute thirty-five, the next day he's playing twenty minutes. It's just it's hard to find some consistency when you just don't know what it's going to be that night. So uh, I, I'm so badly, I'm just like, come on, just get there. But I just, it just seems like with the amount of guards that we have and just the way we like to play, it doesn't really seem like there's much of a spot for him, in my opinion. I th- I think there is a spot. I just don't think that he's stepping up to the moment, right? Like, like, like you were saying, like you just want him to, you just want him, ah, you know, to, to get there right. to do it, to knock down an open three, to hit his little runner that he does when, when, you know, players close out on him, to just place a little defense. And we just haven't seen the defensive part. I mean, that's just been such, it feels like he's, he's worse than he was last year when he was added to the Mavericks, um, defensively. And he just seems like such a liability. And so that's, that's been a big thing. I think Brokoff is, I don't know. I guess he's just less of a defensive liability and he's going to hit threes at a better clip, right? So that's the decision that Carlisle made. Uh, yeah, the other starter could have been, you know, Curry, could have been Brunson, maybe, could have been DeLon Wright, I guess, but Carlisle wanted to keep that um, lineup intact and maybe he wanted to keep some size. He wanted to keep some size instead of throwing in one of those smaller guards. Um, that was interesting. Uh, okay, so let's go back to Porzingis, though, uh, since we talked about the starting five. He's the only guy over seven feet tall. The only guy over six eight, basically, that was playing most of the time. Uh, he scores 35 points, 12 boards. And this is his best game as a Maverick. It's another game without Luka. What have you seen is, 
you know, the difference between Luca playing and Porzingis playing without Luca. Because some people have been saying, you know, oh, Porzingis is better without Luca. Right. Well, I mean, in, in the uh, Fox Sports Southwest broadcast, they did say, you know, part of his success in New York was the fact that they ran the offense through him. And in Dallas, it's just a different situation. I don't think it's necessarily going to hinder his game. Um, some people may argue that, that that is the case. But I think when you've got someone like Luca, they're still trying to figure out and de- develop their dynamic and how they want to play the game. So when he's kind of matching um, Luca and trying to go through the offense and run through Rick's sets, I don't think, you know, they're not looking to him to run that offense through. So I think playing with someone like Luca will, once they get that little pick and pop or however they want to, to, to run their sets, I think it will allow him to kind of develop better into the offense. But I think they're still working on um, kind of getting that and figuring it out. Their closing lineups are always all over the place. Sometimes, or, Well, they're not always. Sometimes they're all over the place, and sometimes their starting lineups are not always consistent, whether that's because of injury or because they're just trying to figure out the perfect lineup. Um, and so I think once they kind of get that figured out, I think that's when Porzingis will really kind of continue to step up. And it, it's halfway, we're halfway through his first season back after a major injury. So I think he will, he will get that time and get that chance. But I think he's just, he's taking it slow. And as I, I, I'm good with where he's at right now, I don't think I'm, I'm not one of those, I'm not anyone that's disappointed by any means. Yeah. And this is another stretch that we could see Porzingis have games like this where, you know, he's able to, to take kind of command and be the first option and maybe find his role a little bit more. Uh, I wonder how much of this is also just confidence in his role. He comes into this situation. Luca is 20 years old. He's the best, you know, 20 year old on the planet right now. And, you know, maybe a top five player, like real NBA people have said he's a top five player in the NBA right now. Porzingis comes in and who is Porzingis to demand the ball from Luca, right? Like that's what I would be thinking if I was in Porzingis' shoes, but to be a successful NBA player, to be an offensive, you know, force in the NBA, you have to, demand the ball you have to believe in yourself have that confidence the irrational confidence guy you know like bill simmons says all the time uh you know is is one of those guys that believes that and doesn't necessarily uh warrant that but porzingis is a guy that should warrant that and so he has you know the coming back from injury as well as the now being in a second role with a guy he can't really demand the ball from or else it'll look terrible and it'll be bad for the team at this point and so I wonder if this is where he gets his confidence. He starts hitting for the mid-range a little bit more, and that's what's really going to unlock his offensive game, that mid-range. I mean, he's shooting 29% right now from 5 feet to 19 feet on the season. I mean, that's just awful. Uh, and he's 7 feet tall. He's, those are shots he should be hitting you know, at a high clip because usually he's going to rise up over somebody. His release point is just so high. But those two things working against him, eventually I think he's going to figure it out. Eventually he's going to build up the confidence. And I think it also – it also the balls in Luca's court to to give him the confidence as well to say, look, man, you're awesome too. Like you're an all star. You were, you know, this great twenty point per game scorer. You have to, you know, demand the ball a little bit too. Like you can eat, you can eat too. Like I'll eat and you eat. And uh, I don't know if Luca has like the leadership abilities at this point in his his life, like in his age, to be able to empower Porzingis like that or to empower guys like that. And that's just the next step in his career, you know. Right. There there have been a couple of times when Luca will start to get doubled or he'll start driving down the lane and Porzingis is out on the perimeter and he's wide open. And yeah, he, he has been a little inconsistent, but there have been a couple of times where I'm like, oh, you could have just got him. And then and then after the play, you'll see them go up and high five. And sometimes Luca will be like, my bad, you were you were open. 
Um, but I think just like you said, you know, that's something that they will learn to figure out. And, and as Luca continues to kind of build his reputation and people start right out of the gates, doubling him, he will learn and he will kind of build that into his game. And he, he is, you know, he's got that pass first mentality that he he's willing to find the open guy and make that extra pass, the pass that you don't even see coming. And then all of a sudden you, the ball's across the court and somebody's hitting a corner three. So I think, KP and Luca will will continue to develop that relationship, and um, like you said, I think if Porzingis um, kind of does demand, like, hey, you know, I, I'm right here. Not that, not that, like, um, there's any kind of like disagreement or anything like that. But I think if he he kind of steps up too, I think they have the ability with with the way that Rick's been staggering them. I think they could just become one of the most dynamic duos in the NBA. Yeah, and they just fit so well. They can they can be so dynamic. But it is it's also been a, a huge positive that Porzingis has settled into this role. I mean, he opens up so much. He's the only player in the NBA averaging two threes and two blocks a game. Like that that kind of a skill set is so rare. That's why he's the unicorn, right? And <laughs> him settling into this secondary, even tertiary role in the offense has opened up so much for the Mavericks. And so now that he is he's fit into that role, now we need him just to step up a little bit more. Step up in crunch time. Get us a get a bucket. You know, be the guy that can get his own shot when Luca's not hitting from three well. Like that that's the next step in this too. And so this is what a young team is. This is watching a young team and enjoying a young team. Uh, you know, Luca has to take a step up in leadership. Porzingis has to take a step up as a go-to scorer and hitting his actual shots that you know that he takes. And that's just those are just the next steps. All right, coming up, let's get into a little bit more of this game. A couple more things I want to get talk about um, with Willie Colley Stein. He played this game, got a tech, uh, had like three thousand like four minutes, and then uh, let's hear about that rumor um, that. Brad Townsend reported about Mavericks potentially targeting a guy. So let's talk about that coming up. All right, Lauren. Um, we didn't see a ton of Maxi Kleba in this game. Thirteen, Just about 13 minutes, 4.6 boards, four blocks. I think we should have got a little bit more of Maxi in this game. Yeah, they were, they were saying that, you know, this is his career high in blocks. And he's... Well, he's tied he it, tried. right? He, he had this a, oh, a couple times last year, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. So he had four and then, yeah, only getting, you know, four attempts up. And, and like you said, just a little less than 13 minutes. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure why there were a couple of times that I'm like, why don't we just throw in, I knew they, they throw out, they threw out uh Kali sign and, and Maxi together at one point, And it, it didn't really seem like it was it was working uh, quite as well as they may have designed it to. But, that group really um, worked in the fourth quarter, though. Like at the beginning of the fourth quarter when they went on that run, that was when Maxi right. and Willie Colley Stein were both out there, and my my stream went out, so I, <laughs> I missed, oh, the be- missed the beginning part of that. But that's when they went on that run, and so it didn't work early. You're right that it was it was really bad early, but then in the fourth quarter they ended up, you know, it started working, and it's kind of a, a zig when they zag. If the Rockets aren't going to play any big guys. Then at least play, you know, and Maxi can guard perimeter guys. There's, you know, besides Harden and Westbrook, maybe there's not many guys on the Rockets that are gonna get by Maxi. He, he, a bunch of those blocks were on drives. Right. Yeah, that block on Westbrook was oh yeah probably the highlight of my night. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I think you know in Willie Colley sign in and just about the the ten minutes he finished with a plus eight. So I think which honestly with between that tech and the the other fouls and finishing with five fouls, I don't I'm shocked that it was a plus eight, but um. I think he's still working on getting into that role. I'm I'm wondering if there will ever be a scenario in which they start him next to KP and just try to go at him or go at the other team with two seven-foot guys. And, one, and there have been so many times 
there were a couple of times in that game where I saw Willie just cut to the basket and slip a couple of screens and I was like, oh my goodness, that man can move. So <laughs> I think when you got Luca back out in that offense and running with him in transition, I think there are going to be a couple of moments where you're just like, wow. And, and there, there may be a, you know, a 30 foot lob pass to Willie as he's running down the court. So I don't know. I'm, I, I with the maxi thing, I, I, I don't know why he would have only played like 13 minutes. I just, I don't, I'm not sure I, I get that, but I mean, yeah, that's it, it goes. It kind of felt like Carlisle was just going with, you know, trying to match the Rockets instead of trying to do something uh, different. So I, I don't know. Who, who knows? Maybe Maxi was dealing with injuries. It feels like everybody's dealing with injuries. <laughs> Tim Hardaway Jr. was icing his back between, you know, timeouts. Uh, Seth Curry went back and got his fingers taped up in the middle of the, you know, the first or second quarter. Porzingis, you know, the knee thing is still ongoing. Luca is out. I mean, it just seems like everybody, <laughs> this is the time to deal with injuries. And um, yeah, Willie Kostein, though, he had a very rough first shift. Very rough. You know, the three fouls very early, the technical foul. Uh, the technical foul was kind of warranted, though, because, man, these refs, like like you were saying, just so frustrating. Uh, and Harden and Westbrook, they, they, uh, Probably the most <laughs> hypocritical player in the NBA, James Harden, right? Yeah. And he's only doing it to try and get, you know get an advantage and and for his benefit. Which you know, hey, go ahead, do it. But it's so frustrating to watch to see him just get barely touched on the offensive end, and him complain that he didn't get called for a foul, and then do the same thing on the other on the defensive end and complain that it's getting called as a foul. I mean, it's just it's mind blowing. And these refs in this game were very frustrating again. And it's sad that. Every game you go into and you assume the refs are going to be frustrating, they are frustrating, right? Like the Rockets <laughs> games, the Lakers games, the Clippers games. It's like every game you go into where there's these, you know, superstar players that complain about calls, you just assume the refs are going to be bad and they end up, you know, proving us right. Right. I mean, I wouldn't have such a problem. Like, you know, with the high market teams and the the superstar players, they're going to get the extra calls. But if there was just even maybe a little more consistency, like if you're going to give them the call, then you got to make it on the other, on the other side of the floor. There were a handful of times tonight when Harden just drives into the lane and he runs into two defenders, just two people. And he just goes in there and he throws it up. But because there's so much contact, he's run, He's the one that's initiating that contact, but he gets the call every time and ends up right at the free throw line. And it just, Oh, it drives me absolutely nuts. But that's, I mean, that's that's James Harden for you. That's his game, just to get any kind of advantage. And he's, he's he is very good at drawing fouls and very good at catching people off guard. I think that's the the one thing that might be his superpower is catching a defender off guard and being able to, uh, you know, hit a shot or being being able to draw a foul when no one thought that it could happen. Um, all right. So any anything else you wanted to mention from this game? Anything else that stuck out to you? Um. I don't know that I, I mean, nothing really stuck out to me. There was a, a brief moment before the game where I saw there was a, a Rick Carlisle, Tyson Chandler reunion hug that, mm. that definitely warmed my 2011 heart. But other <laughs> than that, not much. Yes. Yeah. That all those reunions are always, and until the last player that played on the 2011 team is gone, those reunions will be awesome. Right. Uh, okay. So Brad Townsend tweeted this out today. Uh, reporting with Rick Bonnell, Mavericks are mulling whether to add a 3-4 defender. I'm told that they have, quote, kicked tires, which is kind of like <laughs> kicking the tires is probably what he meant, but, like, they kicked tires. That's uh, like kick the can, like, get out of here. Um, he said, on Charlotte's Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and Toronto's Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, but purely exploratory at this point, trade deadline is one week from today, which is wild. It's only, like, six days away from when you're listening to this. But – 
Um, so that's the type of player. The only thing I'm really interested in this is that's the type of player they're looking for. They're looking for a wing that can defend on the perimeter. Rondé Hollis Jefferson is definitely more of a four, and he's played a lot of five for the Raptors this year. Can't hit a shot to save his life, but he can uh, he can run the floor for sure. He's very athletic. And Michael Kidd Gilchrist, we all we all have seen the photos of him trying to take shots um, <laughs> with his wild with his wild like I don't know like gooseneck chain like like wringing a goose's neck like shot i mean he just, the way that he puts his arms is just wild but he is a good defender can also run the floor very athletic uh, and so the this kind of guy that Mavericks are interested in did you have any thoughts about MKG or Ronda Hollis Jefferson so i'm always you know for adding more defense i think anybody anybody would agree that there's no such thing as too much defense i uh, I think with just the West in general, if you have the opportunity to add a scorer, I think that should be the focus somewhere like the West. I mean, you do have so many players that you need to get out there and guard. And, and even tonight when you've got the um, highest scoring duo and you're playing them and it seems like there were just so many times that we didn't necessarily have an answer. So maybe defense is the answer, but I think, I'm not super excited about these two. I mean, they've got the length. <laughs> I don't and, blame you. And I just, ugh, I, I gotta say it. Like, I and what, what do you give? I can't imagine that you would give much to to acquire either of no, those. No, yeah, so, for the for the Michael Michael Kidd Gilchrist, that's just literally sending Courtney Lee and nothing wow. else. Like, just literally getting off the contract. Ronda Hollis Jefferson, I think he's making the minimum, but kicking mm-hmm. the tires is this is something that NBA teams do all the time. And sometimes mm-hmm. they'll do on players they're not even super interested in. They just want to see what the value is and just try and see if this team is willing to give them up. I mean, Mark Cuban, Rick Carlisle have said over the years that they've received, you know, thousands of calls on Dirk, right? Like Dirk's never <laughs> going to get traded, but they received calls on him. They've, you know, they've talked about it. So this is only interesting because they're trying to add a 3 4 defender, they're trying to add that kind of player. Uh, and specifically a defender. And so, uh, yeah, the Mavericks do probably need a secondary scorer, but I kind of think that they just need somebody to step up, right? Somebody, Tim Hardaway Jr., Curry, Brunson, like one of these guys to step up in those moments um, to be that that secondary, th- or tertiary maybe scorer, um, you know, down the stretch. And then a defender, definitely a defender, and at least better than Justin Jackson, right? That's <laughs> that's that's the goal in these trades, I think. Right, yeah, I think, I think if you add – like you said, if there's more a little more consistency and, and one of these guys steps up as that tertiary scorer, I think that would be a big defense, I think, or a, sorry, a big improvement. I think um, yeah. just a couple of days ago, you guys were saying if if um, Luca and KP put up 20, you need another guy that's going to step up and, and provide some scoring. So if one of these guys can just continue to, to build and come out each night and try, I mean, you're not going to get 20 every single night from Seth or Tim or, or even DeLon, but if you just have more consistency as a whole and everyone like very defined roles, I think that may just be the missing piece. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. They need in this game specifically, they need one more guy to get 20. You know, if, if DeLon could have got 20 or Curry, Curry and somebody else could have gotten 20. I mean, that would have been huge difference for this team. Somebody else to be a go-to if they had could add Luca and he would got 20, that would, that would have made all the difference. I think in this game, (laughs) All right, Lauren, thanks so much for joining us on Lockdown Maps. Tell everybody where they can find you. Right. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Lgun, G-U-N-N-N-N. Um, a little confusing, but it's four N's. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, 
send me all your trade machines because I, I love those. There you go. Send Lauren your trades. Uh, her Twitter will also be in the description of this podcast. So guys, thanks so much for listening to Lockdown Mavs. Peace out. Boom. Boom.